It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woo! Audience going crazy! Thank you, fake audience. Thank you, fake band. Hello, everybody in the chat room. There you guys are. Hello. Okay. Um... First of all, happy uh, belated Thanksgiving. Hope you guys all had a nice one. We did at our house. And uh, there I go. Okay. All systems are go, except for one. We've been spending like the last 35, 40 minutes trying to get a crazy uh, audio loop um, out of the thing when we brought Henry up on split screen. We could not figure it out, so we are just going to record or play Henry on the phone. Not play Henry, listen to Henry on the phone. And I'm going to call him right now. And while that's ringing... Uh, when was Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was last Thursday. Hello? Hi, let me turn. Oh, I'm sorry. Hi, Henry. <laughs> Hello? What? <laughs> he has the sound on the... Hi, Michael. Hi, Henry. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It was a grueling 35 minutes, but... Uh, are, are you... Um, are you on speakerphone or on mouthpiece? No, I'm just on a regular phone. Oh, okay, good. Having a hard time hearing me? No, it just sounded like you were on speakerphone, maybe. Um, anyway, I'm glad uh, last week, we uh, minutes before the show went live, we called Henry just to double check. And uh, he had just received a call that his girlfriend was in a car accident and he had to rush out the door. And so follow up on that. Is she okay? Well, cars are replaceable, people are not, so I'm glad to hear that. Um, so, I've become a fan of Henry's. Uh, Henry Winkle, by the way, I should use his last name. I'm sitting here talking like you guys all know who I'm talking about. Then again, you did get the email. Um, Amanda West says, sound is clear, yay. Uh, so, I met Henry, how long ago did you come down to the office? Like two years ago? All right, so Henry came down and we hung out in my office for a while talking about just how to make taxi a more fruitful experience for him. And uh, I begged him, literally begged him, because <laughs> he's the kind of gentleman that's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to drive down to L.A. and walk into a room full of a couple thousand strangers. That's eh, a little out of my comfort zone. And I said, Henry, you got to do it. And he did it, and not this past year at the 2018 Road Rally, but I saw him in the hallway outside of the ballroom at the 2017 Road Rally. And uh, he's like, wow, I really like this. I'm so glad you twisted my arm. And so uh, he said something to me after this year's Road Rally, the 2018 Road Rally, which was that he didn't frantically take notes this year like he did in 2017. Um, and he spent more time in the ballroom panels versus the, the breakout classes. And 
I realized, I mean, I've always known that Henry is a, a smart man. He really is. I'm not just saying that to stroke his ego, but the, the reason that I like him is he's intelligent and he's a great observer of things. Some people have a gift for observing. And Henry is one of those people, if I ever needed a witness to a crime, you would be the person, I keep looking at the phone like Henry's over there, um, Henry would be the kind of guy that the police would want to have witness a car accident or a mugging or something because he would get all the details right. So with that in mind, I asked him if he would come back and do a, kind of a post-road rally you know, Henry's observations about the road rally. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about other stuff as well. Um, but the first question I've got for you, Henry, is for those who've been on the fence have never actually attended a road rally, can you tell them if you think it's worth it? And I'm not fishing for, oh, Michael, the road rally is the greatest thing in the world. Um, do you think it's worth it for people who are on the fence? Well, I can tell you what happened uh, this year with me because I went to uh, uh, last year's uh, road rally. Um, and, and, you know, going this year, going uh, the first year, I had somebody who has to go with me who's a non-musician, and I was focused. I said, no, this is business for me. i got to focus. Um, and I didn't really know what to expect. And that was more like a business trip. Uh, the second one was more like a vacation. <laughs> I, I learned just as much, but I, I wasn't so serious about it. You know, I, I took notes. Uh, at the first road rally, I've never read those notes, and so I said, you know, you know, this time I'm not going to take notes. This, this time I'm going to have fun. And at the um, the first one, I met the guitarist Joe Gothard, and um, it, it was actually two things that you said to me that led to me meeting Joe. And the first thing was when we met in your office, and you you asked me to put my um, to link my forwards on the taxi form. Right. And because uh, because I started participating in the forums at that time, uh, I came in contact with a guy in Japan named uh, Minoru. And um, then you told me last year you got to go to the rally; it'll change your life. Well, if I hadn't met Minoru, I probably would not have met uh, Joe Gothard because there's just so many people. But Minoru introduced me to Joe, and Joe got me in what I will refer to as the library. Okay. And, um, that library this year, because I went to last year's rally, uh, that library has signed 70 of my tracks. Uh, and and that, that doesn't include alts. That's just like 70 actual uh, submissions. And that never would have happened um, if I hadn't posted my stuff on the forward and met Minoru and met Joe uh, and if I hadn't gone to the rally. So I remember when I started with Taxi, uh, it, I thought submitting my music was putting myself out there. <laughs> but, but now I realize that's not the case. Uh, I was putting my music out there. You put yourself out there by going to something like the rally. And you know, you know people came from all over the world. Uh, for me, it was just like a five-hour drive. But, People were there from New Zealand and Australia and Switzerland and and, and everywhere. And everyone who goes to the rally, you're you're doing one of the two things you need to do to be successful, and that's you're putting yourself out there. And um, you had a show some years ago where you you it was like uh, ten things that 
all successful taxi members do. Right. And I was doing nine of them, and the only thing I hadn't done was go to the rally. And you're right, I, I was reluctant. Uh, last year, I was reluctant and uh, almost canceled two weeks prior, but didn't. And uh, so, so for me, going to the rally got me into the best library that I'm in, for me. And it made me realize that it's not so much how many libraries you're in, but it's what library you're in. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know, uh, late last night, I was editing um, an interview I've done with Patty Boss, one of our members, um, that is a two-part interview, half of which was in last month's, or yeah, last month's Taxi Transmitter, our newsletter, and the second half is going to be coming out uh, in, I don't know, three days, I think. And uh, for some reason, that reminded me, oh man, I just lost my train of thought. What were we just talking about? Um, Oh, that I, oh, I, was, the, I was reluctant to go, but, but I went. And the right library. Me, It'll change your life. The and right. It, and it has, because the, uh, this is the first year, my fifth year, where I started getting royalties. But you made a point which was being in the right library. And something, while I was reading the interview that I did with Patty Boss, I think she made mention of that. And I sat there in our kitchen for like 10 minutes just thinking about that, that how many people just like are so obsessed with getting their music into a library, signing a deal so they can say, I've got a publisher, it's my publisher. And they don't realize that they're maybe signing uh, instrumental tracks to a library that doesn't really peddle instrumental tracks that often. Every now and then, yes, but uh, not that often. And so they end up in the wrong library and that has so much to do with being successful. And it may not be being in the biggest library, it may not what uh, like what is a great library for one person may not be a great library for another person so uh here's an example if you're doing um uh edm very beat driven pop or edm dancey stuff and you get your music uh into a library that mostly gets stuff on hg hgtv which is largely acoustic instrumental stuff in the instrumental cues um they wouldn't have a lot of need for that. It may be a great library. There may be other taxi members that are having a great deal of success with that library, but it wouldn't be the right library for you. So thank you for reminding me and our viewers of that, that it's all about being in the right library. Now you mentioned that they had 70 things of yours signed in that one library. How many tracks do you think, just a shoot from the hip estimate, do you have with the other libraries that you're in? yet this one library is consistently getting you more placements than all the others combined.
and on a, on a daytime TV show. Okay, so uh, do you think that the the reason for that is that the music you're making is more ideally suited for a soap opera or daytime television than it is for other types of stuff, or is yes. it? Yes, yeah, it's actually um, what we do for the show. It is uh, we give them uh, smooth jazz tracks and instrumental smooth jazz, and they um, they typically play smooth jazz whenever there's a scene in a restaurant so we want those people just to keep eating <laughs> well uh, yeah and i would imagine that the demographic uh, for the viewers for soap operas is, is probably i'm gonna guess i could be way off in this um there there used to be a period where it was young moms but so many moms are in the workforce now that they don't stay at home and watch soap operas anymore of course then again you don't have to watch them on a schedule anymore you can just stream them but i would imagine that a fair percentage of the viewers are female and a fair percentage of those females skew a little bit on the older side and by that i don't mean necessarily retirement age although that may comprise a certain amount of them but smooth jazz would be appealing to that demographic. If it were a bunch of 19-year-olds watching the show, then they would want hip-hop and EDM, I'm guessing. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and I'd like to uh, talk just for a second about uh, alt versions, because when, when we submit a track, we submit a full version, and we also submit a bed so there'll be no guitar. Um, sometimes we, uh, and the, the third option is a no-drums version. And the reason, the reason you want to do that is because they might play your full version three or four, uh, on three or four different shows. And then the executive producer says, I've heard that track, I want something new. Then they might play the bed version. And, and a bed might even have a better chance of uh, getting placed because there's no melody to interfere with dialogue. So, um, so you know, the library actually has about 200 more than 200 of, of our tracks that, that can be used on that show. That brings up an interesting question. Um, the bed version versus a version that's got a melody, and you're absolutely right uh, surmising that a melody could get in the way of dialogue or voiceover, what have you. Um, when you say a bed version, is it simply a rhythm track? Um, I mean, does it, it sound like a you know, a record without a lead vocal on it? Does it sound too naked? Or is there anything that you do compositionally that even though it's it's stripped down and doesn't have a full melody, is there anything you do to give it some sense of forward movement? And I know some people will take, for instance, they'll arpeggiate chords to make it almost like a faux melody. It's just the, the normal chord progression, but there's movement within it. Is that the sort of thing that you do with smooth jazz to make the EP on that show happy? No, um, I, I was actually told that the, the EP on the show, if, if they put, put a bed in there, um, it sounds like a new track. And, and no, we don't really do anything. The, the, the bed would essentially be uh, piano and, um, and bass and drums. Wow, okay. Um, and is there a tempo range that seems to appeal to this show um, more so that, you know, yeah. and what is that yeah. tempo range? And, and, and that goes back to putting yourself out there. The, um, the library owner 
he introduced you to the music supervisors of the show. And I said, I, you know, I, and I didn't know they were going to be there. So I got to spend the first half hour before the singer-songwriters all went up and started doing their singer-songwriter thing, um, talking to them about what they do. And, uh, and, and I asked them if there's, if there's a video editor on the show, and they said, no, uh, we, do, we do all the, all the, the, the uh, placing or whatever that's called. And um, we score, and we do all this. And then they said something to me that I never would have known if I hadn't gone down there. And they said, make sure that everything that you submit is 100 BPM or faster. Because Interesting. We, don't need, we have enough slow stuff. We don't need any more slow stuff. So it's not that they wouldn't use slow stuff. They just had enough of it. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Because I would imagine that you don't want stuff that's like super fast, uh, gets a little twitchy uh, in the background of, uh, you know, a serious romantic discussion or, uh, you know, a, um, we've got a problem in our relationship discussion going on in a restaurant that uh, smooth jazz, you know, would sound funny if it were too fast. Um, wow, that was fortuitous learning that. So let's go back to the road rally for a second. Um, okay. Now that you've been to two road rallies, and the second one was a different approach than the first one. Do you have any um, sage advice for people who are going to their first road rally? Yeah, just go. <laughs> well, I was looking for something a little more expensive than that. I'm talking well, about... I, wanted, I, mean, but I the, wanted to talk about the, the, video, the, the video editor. Um, okay, which her that, name is Laurel Ostrander, and she opened up... The road rally this year. So yeah, let's talk about that. If you had just had that one class and nothing else, that would have been worth going down to the road rally just to see that. And that's really what separates a uh, taxi. I think. I mean, there there are other uh, companies out there that provide listings, but what taxi does is taxi teaches you stuff. That's and, and I remember you, this really hit home when you said I moderate those panels and I ask. Um, the panelists who are uh, library owners and their music supervisors, and you said, I ask them questions that I already know the answer to so that the people in the audience can learn. And, you know, the listings that you guys put out, that's all about learning. The road rally, that's all about learning. And Taxi TV, and that's really what separates you. Uh, it, it's, it's not just the job opportunities and the, and the forwards and, and all that, but it's a, and, and, and screener input. Again, it's, it's kind of like going to a university. It's kind of like taxi university without the $40,000 student debt. I should be charging 40 grand. That would be awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Henry. That's a great idea. <laughs> now, uh, yeah. I, thank you for acknowledging that the educational side of taxi, because it, it is important, but you know, I've met a lot of musicians in my 43 years in the industry, and so many of them think that they are fully baked and perfect just as they are. And I get it. It's an artistic thing. You you know, as an artist, you have your sound, your vision, your artistic vision, and it's really hard to look at yourself objectively. So it's hard to know if there's something more that you should learn. But you could actually take the artistic component out of the out of the equation and just say you know what okay let's assume that you are fully baked and really wonderful and super talented and your music is great just the way it is you there's nothing you could possibly learn 
from Taxi or the Road Rally or Taxi TV or any screeners. It's the business side um, and the networking that uh, is the educational component that a lot of people don't have. And when they hear the word learn, it's, it scares some people. It puts them off. It's like, oh, that's work. I have to learn stuff. But you and so many of our other successful members seem to have taken to it like a duck takes to water. Um, what is it that drives you, that gave you that impetus, that desire to learn more about the whole picture? Well, when I started my first year with Taxi, and, and you have told me that there are a number of people who quit after their first year. They're either frustrated by one thing or another, or they don't, they, they might think, uh, oh, I'm getting so many returns, uh, I, I'm not getting this, or my, I don't see my forwards getting anywhere. My first year with Taxi, I had nine forwards and 49 returns. Now, those are quitting numbers, <laughs> you know. But I, I knew I was doing something wrong, and I, and I was determined to figure out what I was doing wrong. And I kept getting the screener input, you know, um, does not fit, fit the listing, needs more dynamic development, needs this, needs this, needs this. And then you, you just get better. And you go on YouTube, everything's on YouTube. You want to learn how to make MIDI strings sound like real strings? Search for that on, on YouTube. You want to learn about mixing? Search for that on YouTube. Uh, I mean, the answers are all there. And you want to get to a point where you're not only comfortable with your arrangements, but you're comfortable with how your mixes sound. So my second year wasn't that much better. And um, uh, I was 17 forwards and 38 returns, and I'm still struggling. That's not bad. Uh, I mean, that number is not that bad, Henry, just so you know. I wouldn't say those are they're quitting numbers. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was better, better than the first year. And my third year was pretty even. It was 50 forwards and 58 returns. But then the next year, I finally got it. And um, that year, I had 105 forwards and 81 returns. Wow. So... So you can see where my money goes. I mean, that's almost $1,000 in submission fees. My money goes to submission fees, and it goes to sample libraries. And this year and last year, I'm at about 80, 80 and 50, as, as far as uh, forwards to returns. I can't and, believe that uh, you submit that much. I mean, frankly, I, I try and dissuade our members from submitting so much, but it sounds like you've kind of, you know, you found a formula that works for you, the kind of music you're submitting, you're probably reading the listings carefully. All those things are going into the stew that uh, has made, given you a really good um, forward ratio. So I guess if you've got a really high forward ratio like that, you might as well take more swings. You know, the more often you come up to bat, the more and the more swings you take, the more runs you're going to get because y your batting average is really good. Actually, this year I started off thinking, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to submit to too many uh, taxi lists because I'm going to focus on uh, smooth jazz for this library. But I mean, you have so many really great, or, well, I should say, perfect for me instrumental listings this year that I just couldn't stop myself. Uh, you know, and and 
Now, here's the interesting thing about it, uh, and, and you already know this, so this is a great example of me bringing something up that I know the answer to. My uh, person I'm interviewing knows the answer to, but maybe not all of our viewers do, which is those signings don't happen usually right after a forward. So, you know, if you had 80 forwards and, uh, what'd you say, four signings or? Yeah, four this year. Okay, so those other 76 forwards will bear fruit at some point. Some portion of them will bear some fruit further down the road because it does, sometimes people run a listing, they find what they need right away and they don't really need to listen to the rest of the stuff in a file that we send them but they keep the file because they know the music has been curated by Taxi and that there's gold in them there are hills. So they'll stick it all in a folder and leave it on their desktop or somewhere on their computer. And at some point in the future, it could be 60 days later, it could be six months later, could even be six years later, they will go back to that folder when they need that type of music and they'll go, wow, this guy Henry has a bunch of great smooth jazz. Um, I'm gonna reach out to the guy and see if any of it is still available. So. I have little doubt that you will be getting signings on that other stuff at some point. And then the other aspect of it that's really important to know is even though you only had, and I shouldn't say only had, but you had four signings out of 80 forwards, there are probably times, and correct me if I'm wrong, when they'll say, yeah, we like this song, Henry, or this instrumental do you have anything else? Or you may ask them, is there anything else that you need? And it could create an ongoing relationship that bears fruit with many other pieces of music being signed in that library. Is that the case for you as well? Yeah, that, that's the case. There have been uh, a number of, almost every time uh, a library will reach out and say, how many more um, do you have that are like this? And then, and then you send them what you have. And so, um, and that's and that's what one thing about listings too that that I realized recently. Uh, listings prepare you for briefs, and a brief is basically a listing uh, that comes from a library. And listings prepare you because there's a description, there are examples, and there's a deadline. And that's the same thing you get in a brief. The only difference is with a with a listing when you get a return, the screener tells you why. Right. When you get when you get a rejection from a library, typically they do not tell you why. It just says rejection, and and you don't want to be the guy to call them up and say why did you reject this. I had a situation with a library very recently. Um, they have three three emails: accepted, rejected, and edits um, edits required. And if you get edits required, that's pretty good. And uh, the, on the email, the guy even said, I like it. And uh, can you slow it down? And I slowed it down, and it came back rejected. And and, and he did say wow. something. He said, Just, I don't feel it fits the vibe of, of the TV show. So that kind of surprised me. But anything can happen. And, you know, you, you just have to deal with it. You don't want to be that person. I remember you had a, a library owner on, and he said, he was talking about some guy who was a fantastic musician. But the guy kept calling him and saying, have, have you placed any of my tracks yet? Have you placed any of my tracks? You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the guy that emails him, why did you reject this? I think it's perfect. Um, it sounds exactly like your example tracks. You, you just want to go on and compose something else and hope they like that one. Absolutely. You couldn't be more right. It's all about making life 
easy. Uh, I talked about this, uh, I think, at one of the Road Rally panels where I had uh, uh, a music supervisor and a music licensing uh, agent on stage, um, Frank Palazzolo and Shannon Quisenberry, and I talked about making it frictionless, which was a phrase I believe that Bill Gates used. Um, and, and yeah, that's what people, the industry moves at lightning speed. I've seen it, the, the speed at which things get done um, increase, you know, twofold or threefold just in the last two or three years. So they want to work with musicians. The quality bar is a given. You've got to be over it, but you've also got to now, the other quality bar is the quality of the working relationship. Do they have to explain stuff over and over to you? Do they have to remind you to um, include tags on your stuff? Um, do you hit deadline dates for deliverables? Things like that. And if you do all that stuff well, they're going to keep going back to you because you make their life easy, right? Right. That's exactly right. And, um, you know, about that video, video editor, uh, you, you had her at the last rally, and, and I missed that class, and you were kind of disappointed at the turnout, if I remember correctly. That's true. We and only so had you about... Made, you made the determination, I'm going to bring her back, and I'm going to make her the only class available to take so that everybody uh, could see. And, and really, um, that was something that you had to see. I can describe it, but when if you were there and you saw it, you just went, wow, that's going to change the way that, that I submit music. Because, if, and a number of the music supervisors said the same thing, they don't listen to the track first. They look at the stereo wave. Right. And that is the first thing they do. And what they want to see is they want to see what you say in almost every listing. They want to see edit points. They want to see points where the sound goes away. And then what they do is they might listen to the beginning. They might then fast forward to the next edit point and see, can I begin here or can I, can I end here? And then they'll go to the next edit point. And that's the way they listen. And then what they do also is they might start at the end of, end of a track to see if it has a sting or ending. If it doesn't have a sting or ending, you're done. It's on, on to the next track. And, and a music supervisor said, I know in five seconds whether a track is going to work or not. So basically, you have to impress them with your ending and your first five seconds, or you're done. That's great. That's almost the entire book on how to create great music for television is have a great first five seconds and a stinger ending that kicks butt and you're 80 percent home right there you could skip reading all the pages in the middle of the book uh, that's about, and, and, and the other thing i noticed about the video editor is when she was looking at the other points as a starting point she wanted to hear some kind of a hit because she was going to use that as kind of a change in the mood or change and to signify a change in, in the mood of the scene. And I think what we saw, would you say it was about a two-minute clip yeah. that she was working with? And she had seven cues in that two-minute uh, clip. And first she played it without any music, and then she showed how she went about placing things. And it was a reality show, and um, there were some judges, and they were talking about the contestants, and they were real, real high on the first two, and then all of a sudden the third one, they didn't like the third one at 
Absolutely. Um, some people would say, oh, you're selling out and you're, you're um, you know, prostituting your art. Um, you, excuse me, you're, you're not making music that's creative or comes from your musical soul. Um, to which I say, you know what, by learning how to do all this stuff to make your music more usable by a video editor, a music supervisor in the context of a TV show, movie, or a trailer, you're also developing your chops. You're getting to work faster with your workstation. You're learning about EQ curves. You're learning about um, setting up templates with the right kinds of instrument sounds for the right kind of music. Um, all those things come into play so that when you do work on music that is more artistic and more likely to feed your musical soul, you've now got a better arsenal and a better toolbox to accomplish that goal. So, it, you know, it can earn you income and it can also create better music for the artist side of you. Uh, let's go back to the road rally for a second. Um, people often ask me, should I go to the panels in the ballroom or should I go to the classes? And frankly, I don't have a good answer because I'm always in the ballroom moderating the panels. So I don't really get, I never get to the classes, frankly. 22 years of doing road rallies, I think I've seen maybe three classes in all those other years where somebody else was moderating in the ballroom at the time and I was able to go upstairs and take in a class. Uh, and I'm partial to the the panels in the ballroom because I think about, I'm the person that comes up with the concepts for the panels. I'm the person that develops the relationships that the panelists reaches out to them. I write the questions, so I can't look at it objectively. Uh, and you won't hurt my feelings, but I really want to know the answer. As somebody who's been to two road rallies now, um, and I think you took a different approach at each of them, did you find that classes um, were better than the ball, the ballroom panels or vice versa, or should they mix it up? This, this year, I thought the, the panels were so good that I spent most of the time um, in the ballroom. Okay. And I think I only took two classes. And one was, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I didn't think that was going to be that interesting, but my, my buddy Joe was there, and, and I thought... Um, uh, well, I'll, I'll just hang out with Joe. He seems to know what he's doing, <laughs> and uh, that, that was a that was, it was a great class. Uh, that that guy, uh, the uh, teacher, he he covered a lot of interesting topics, and and we got to talk to him afterwards in the um, in the bar area, and, and and that's the other thing about the rally and why people should go. You, there were five uh, library owners there who had signed my music and three of them i would never met and I wanted to meet so I emailed them first before the rally Smart. and then I made it a point, a point to meet them and, and, I, and I did get to meet them and then, and then you want to ask them about what they do and stuff and so uh, I remember talking to one and you have mentioned this on the show uh, and I asked him well how many people do you have in your, in your library and he said about 400 and then I, but then he said, but it's the 20-80 rule, 20% do 80% of the work. So when you get in a library, like the one I, I got in because of the last year's rally, you want to be that, um, you want to be part of that 20%. And, and the way you do that is you, you crank out stuff. I, I work with two guitarists because I can, I can crank out twice as much stuff than if, if I were working with one guitarist. And the other reason it's good to 
when a library owner wants something, it's always ASAP. It's either today, tomorrow. Uh, so one of the guitarists went on a, a Caribbean cruise, and uh, I won't mention his name, but his initials are Joe Gothard. You know you did, Joe. <laughs> so uh, so fortunately, fortunately, I had Mike Turner, and we cranked out 12 Christmas instrumentals in about a week and a half, and she was just so happy with that. And, and, and that's, that's what you want to be. When they ask for something, and you know it's in your wheelhouse, you know you can do it, um, bam, you, you crank it out and, and you send it to them. Um, I'm seeing people comment in the chat room. Um, oh, where'd it go? Uh, Paul Paul House says, I learned as much in the bar after the classes than in the classes. I was gobsmacked by the content and felt I needed to be in two places at once many times. And Robbie Hancock said that he's been to the Red Rally six times and thought the classes this year were the best he's ever seen. So thank you both for those comments. Much appreciated. Um, so Henry, I want to go back to you being brave enough to get out of your comfort zone and come to the road rally. People never believe me when I tell them this. My wife will back me up. Um, I'm not a very social person. Um, at the road rally, I'm in my element and I'm talking to my people, my family, you know, and, and I'm, I'm like maybe a 1% stage fright issue for me. But I'm so comfortable in that room full of people that I'm different than I am in real life. And I don't mean I'm being a phony at the road rally, I'm just comfortable. But if I go to a party, I am definitely the person that, hey, how are you doing? I'm not good at small talk. That's what it all boils down to. I have no patience for small talk and I don't follow baseball. So even though I use baseball analogies uh, frequently in the show, I, I can't talk about last night's game. Um, so I find myself, you know, probably having two sips of a drink and standing off to the side somewhere being a wallflower. My wife, on the other hand, is very sociable. And so she'll ditch me and go hang out with everybody else, have a great, we have two different experiences at the same party. So I really understood you when you said, you know, I'm just not dying to go into a massive convention with a couple thousand people. And, but man, oh man, it sounds like, Maybe it's comfortable for you like it's comfortable for me because you're amongst your own people, your tribe. Is, does that make sense? Well, you know, just knowing one person at at the rally this year, who's Joe, and then uh, Joe introduced me to another guitarist, uh, Dwayne, and um, I see I see he's in the chat, and, um, and, and introduced me to like three or four other people, but just... Just having one person who's become a, a really good friend uh, changed the whole experience for me. Um, I, I totally get it. See, I feel like I've got a couple thousand good friends there. It's amazing to me how many people that are quote-unquote customers have become friends of mine over the years. And sometimes I feel... Um, I can't explain it, but I feel very attached to our members and I'm very proud to have them in this large extended family. There are times on weekends I want to call people, um, call members, and I'm reluctant because they would then have my cell number and my home phone number instead of the office number. It's a little frustrating. This weekend was one of those weekends. I actually took three, three days off. I took off uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Didn't even pull the laptop out until Sunday. 
And there were times where I had questions for members and uh, almost picked up the phone to call them and then thought, nah, not going to do it. Anyway, um, oh, you know, I think you answered this already. I had a question. Have you found it easier, difficult to meet industry people? Do you feel capable on your own now without uh, Joe introducing you to somebody? Are you comfortable enough in the rally environment that if you see a, a panelist who was on a panel a half an hour ago in the ballroom and they've moseyed up to the bar to grab a beer. Um, do you now feel comfortable enough in that environment to walk up and say, hey, I just saw you in the panel and thought your comment XYZ was really great? Or do you still feel like you need to be part of a duo or a trio to, to do that? No, no, yeah. I used to be a reporter, so I have no problem walking up to people and asking them questions. And um, I, I made a point with two of the librarians who I had not met but I had contacted by email to approach them and then ask them questions about them, uh, not talk about me and what a great musician I think I am because they're the ones who are successful. I'm the one who's aspiring to be successful, so I want to know about them. Like I wanted to know about the um, music supervisors when I went to the meet and greet. I wanted to know about the library owners. and, and uh, and, and I got to meet one of the library owner's uh, wife, and I knew that she, she was a pianist. Uh, I'm a pianist, so we got to talk about piano. And I think um, you can't put a price on meeting somebody face-to-face, -face because now when I send them my music, uh, they, know it, they know it for me. That's not going to mean that they're going to accept it unconditionally, no. But at least now, now there's a face behind the music. And I think that that's um, something that, you know, with, the, with uh, Facebook um, and, and, and all the online stuff, uh, I think we're seeing less and less of that face-to-face -face interaction. Absolutely. Um, do you find that... Do, do like-minded people find each other? Are there, I don't want to call them clicks because that's that word doesn't have the right kind of connotation. But in my experience, people that, birds of feather flock together. That's probably the most eloquent way to say it. And sometimes I'll stand on the perimeter of the bar at eight o'clock at night at the rally and just kind of watch what's going on in there. And when I see the little subgroups of members hanging out, Sometimes I, I sit there and chuckle to myself in a good way, going, ah, it makes perfect sense that those three people would be hanging out together because they, they have similar personalities, a similar vibe. Um, do you find that, that, uh, that, you know, members, subsets of the tribe find each other pretty comfortably? I, I don't know. I, I would say um, Joe and I are pretty opposite, except for the fact that we're both musicians and we both do, do have a sense of humor, but he's much more laid back. Uh, he hunts, he, he fishes, he does, he does all that stuff. Uh, he acts, uh, he's got, he's got a, a wife, he's got kids, he's got grandkids. So he's got a lot of things to do, unlike me who has no life. So uh, <laughs> I really like, I, I really like Joe. And, and I think some, so sometimes there's, there's an opposite opposite uh, attract um, thing going on. I, I, I basically just hang with people who have a sense of humor. And uh, if, if you don't have a sense of humor, um, I, 
want to be around you. I'm amazed when I see people at the rally uh, that are up at the edge of the stage after every panel with a CD in their hand. Uh, it, there's one gentleman, he's a very nice guy. I like him a lot. I see him every year at the rally, and I'd be disappointed if I didn't see him at the rally. But I actually had to walk up to him this year and say, can you do me a favor? Last year when I was picking the road rally shots to go in the newsletter, virtually every shot I had, the post-panel shot in the ballroom where members are going up and you know doing little meet and greet moments, this gentleman was in virtually every shot and he chuckled he said i know i know so he literally would hang back and let the photographer get a bunch of shots and then he would come in for the kill so i i worry a little bit that the industry people uh i mean i know they expect it they they can't they'd be unrealistic to think that they're going to go to an industry event with a bunch of people that um want to get their music to them but wow, I'm surprised how gracious and how um, accepting they are of people coming up to them all the time. You would think that after about the third or fourth person, they'd be like, I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. They'd either go up to their room if they're staying at the hotel or just get in their car and drive away. But they hang out. And you know what? They all, to the person, tell me the same thing, which is your members are the nicest people at any event that I've ever met and that I really enjoy meeting them. And they also frequently comment, Rob Shirelli and Michael Lloyd are both, you know, very, very long time friends of mine. Both of those guys every single year, either at the end of the road rally or the day after, um, will tell me that they're just astonished at how good the quality has gotten better from year, after, you know, year to year to year to year. And, and there's a simple reason for that, I think, and that's because Half of the people at the rally are repeat customers, repeat offenders, if you will. And they're learning and moving forward all the time. And their music gets pulled out of a box or off a playlist. And therefore, the quality just keeps going up. Oh, you know what, Henry? This just reminded me of something. This was actually the thing that made me reach out to you to do this show. You sent me an email after the road rally this year. And you said that you made a really um, profound observation and a and you had a question and i'm going to answer it for you right now your observation was that the music that was played on the instrumental panel was surprisingly subpar and, and you didn't think it was horrible or anything it but by comparison to the songs played on the songs for film and tv only panel um i i completely agree with you and i actually made a comment to a couple of staff members possibly my wife that I was a little astonished by the fact that I, I thought the instrumental music would be just off the charts wonderful. Instead, it was competent. It was B plus, maybe A minus every now and then, maybe an A. But there wasn't a lot of stuff in there that blew me away. And yet the songs, there was a lot of stuff that blew me away. And the panelists were raising their hands saying, I'll take a copy of this, I'll take a copy of that. So. I figured out what the reason was, and that is, as I've said so many times on Taxi TV and in our newsletter and elsewhere, so many of our members have gotten so good that they almost don't need Taxi anymore um, to make submissions. They're already directly connected to library owners that they've met through Taxi. They, have, they get um, briefs sent to them from these library owners. Um, 
and they didn't bother to submit their music for that instrumental panel because they did, the requirement was that the music had to be available because we didn't want the panelists raising their hands and saying, yeah, I'll take a copy of that. Oh, I'm sorry you can't, it's already signed to another library. So my feeling is, and I'm about 90% sure that I'm right about this, that the members who were really good have all their music taken already. It's already signed to somebody, so they didn't bother submitting for that panel. So we got kind of the second tier up and comers, the people that have figured out, you know, maybe how to make a cue, um, how to produce a cue, how to um, uh, arrange a cue. You know, uh, it's not like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, and out like a song would be. So they know the rules of the game and they're getting pretty darn close. They're like B plus or A minus close, but they're not at the A or A plus level yet. So does that explanation make sense? Because I went, I went to the um, uh, song panel, and, and why would I go to a song panel? Because I know I'm going to learn something, and that's where I learned what that music supervisor said. I know within five seconds whether something is a no, and um, and the and the uh, the songs just blew me away for the most part. And you're right, they were saying I want that. They they had uh, library owners arguing about uh, not, not you know arguing. <laughs> Oh, so, uh, nothing yeah, makes. He didn't, he didn't get that at, at, at the instrumental uh, one, and th there was actually one guy, and I'm going to call him out right now. Okay. Because you were only supposed to submit one track, and he submitted two, and his name is Dwayne, and you know you did this, Dwayne. You submitted <laughs> two tracks. And I thought that's very clever. Um, <laughs> What, what, what he actually did, and, and from now on I'm going to call him by his rapper name, Two Track Dwayne. It was a, it was probably one of the best. It was one of the better tracks that was played. But, but the first half of it was ambient, and the second half of it was more like um, action action hybrid. And the judges told him, "You've got two tracks there." I remember so, that well. Yeah. So uh, next year, I think I'm going to take 16 tracks, condense them down to 20 seconds each. Put them all together, and for five bucks, I'm gonna get 16 tracks. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm guessing uh, Dwayne is a friend of yours, <laughs> or maybe. Yeah, I, or... I, I just met Dwayne at, at the rally. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, Dwayne used to be a friend of yours. <laughs> he used to be a friend of mine. We we were planning to collaborate this week, but uh, uh, he'll probably he'll, old two track will never want to talk to me again, probably. Uh, I sent the the staff and I are all on a um, chat group together on WhatsApp, and I was at uh, where the heck was I? I got to open up my WhatsApp here. It's very rude that I'm playing with my phone on the show, but it's it's got a purpose. Um, I I've got a rapper name that oh here it is. Um, my new rapper name is Puff Dog. Um, I was at Trader Joe's with my wife, I think, uh, Wednesday night, and I saw these puff dog things, which I'm guessing are, uh, yeah, you know, some kind of phyllo dough wrapped around a little miniature hot dog or something. And I thought, this is perfect, because I'm every bit as talented as Puff Daddy and Snoop Dogg. So I'm Puff Dog. That's my rapper name. <laughs> least likely, I was voted in high school, least likely to ever rap, so, just so you know. Um, okay. 
Okay. Uh, I I submitted uh, to Bria because there there, there were there were four uh, things that I heard that um, in that instrumental thing where where people made a mistake, and I have made the same mistake at at, at one point, and um, so I submitted four tracks to Bria. If if you want to do this, and you know some of them are thirty seconds, some of them are forty seconds that have these same mistakes, and I thought it'd be fun. Explain that again. You gave four tracks to, oh, okay. So the stuff that Bria's got to play, you want us to identify the mistakes in your tracks? Yeah, because they were, they were the same mistakes that the instrumentalist at the panel. Oh, made. okay. Sure, let's play a round of Find Henry's Mistakes. This is gonna be fun. Um, what's the first title you got ready to go, Bria? I have the uh, example one is Reverie. Okay, uh, let's have a listen and everybody tune in at home so you can find Henry's mistakes. That was Bria's mistake. <laughs> See that bus going by? I'm about to throw her under it. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Two that sets of wheels. One. That was one? That was it. Oh, that was it. So, and that was the mistake was, I, I didn't hear it. Like, it, that one didn't sound like a two for one. No, 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 no. It, it, was, it was another mistake that, that I made. Oh, I was looking for the two for one. Um, so oh, okay. what was the mistake in that one? Did anyone, um, I'm see if anybody... Two, yeah, two, two people in the chat room got it. Three people. Four um, people. Um, the uh, strings weren't articulated at all. Right. It was just uh, holding a chord and just letting it rip, right? Right. If, if you're going to put strings in a track and, you, and you're unfamiliar with uh, volume automation or expression automation... Go on YouTube and do a search for how to make MIDI strings sound like real strings. And, and, and you'll learn something. And, and, and people ask me, well, what's the difference between volume automation and expression automation anyway? Volume automation automates the volume fader on your track. Expression right. automates the volume fader on the patch itself. So if you've got, say, uh, symphobia strings, That'll come with its own volume fader and its own its own pan thing. So uh, expression will not touch the volume fader on the track, but only the volume fader on the symphonia strings. In all these years, I thought expression automation was this. Guess not. Anyway, thanks for the education on that. Um, let's listen to another one. Uh, are we supposed to find mistakes on this one? Yeah, I, I, I think there are three more. Okay, let's have, what's this one called? This one is uh, Tense Undercurrent. Tense Undercurrent. In a world with Tense Undercurrent. Mm -hmm. 
Let's see if anybody got it. I think Neil McTavish nailed it when he very uh, articulately pointed out needs cowbell. Good one, Neil. <laughs> uh, Mojo Bone says, wish I hadn't sold my fiddle. Well, we'll have to take a vote on that, Mojo. <laughs> um, Gloria says, bass reverb sounded too heavy. Um, no stinger. Peter well, that, that, that's because I faded it out because I didn't want to subject the listeners to too much of that horrible track, by the way. Uh, there's, there's so much wrong with that track, but, but the, um, the reason that I... Um, the screener was very kind. He said uh, could benefit from some additional um, development. And I noticed that with, with some of the instrumentals that, that I heard at the panel. They just didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that track doesn't go anywhere. And besides which, the, um, the uh, piano... Uh, when I'm playing on the piano, is weak and it's boring. The drums are weak and boring. There's so much wrong with that track uh, that it, it makes me... The best thing I can say about that track is that it eventually ends. <laughs> but, you know, Henry, I'll bet that there was a point three or four years ago where you probably thought, this is great. Why didn't they love it? You know, it's funny how the education and just being exposed to this stuff on a daily basis makes it so easy to see what wasn't so easy to see a few short years ago. Yeah, well, I did think, think it was a great track because I submitted it. And there guess go. what? It got returned. Yep. Hey, by the way, I see Peter Rahill in the uh, in the chat room. And Peter, this is directly to you, buddy. Um, there's a listing coming out tomorrow where they're looking for, like, comedic um, country songs. And as soon as, I, I, I always get the last look at the listings before they go out the door. And as I'm reading this one, Peter Rahill's face just kept popping up. Um, it wasn't comedic, what did it ask for? Um, Bree's sitting here trying to poke her eye out with a pencil. <laughs> These kids today, you know, if they don't have electronics in their hand, you can't trust them with a sharp object. All right, Bria's going to find the listing, um, but it is coming out tomorrow morning at 5.55 a.m. And we will tell you momentarily what it asked for. I don't think we've ever had one. Novelty-style country hybrid songs? Yeah, novel like Cotton Eye Joe? Novelty country songs um, like Cotton Eye Joe. Um, so there you go. I don't think we've ever had a listing for anything like that. And for some reason, as I was reading the listing, I thought, man, this one's got Ray Hill written all over it. Anyway, just saying. Uh, so let's listen to your third track and see uh, if we can find fault with that one. Uh, what's the name of this one, Bria? This one's called Jazzy Piano Blues. Jazzy Piano Blues. <laughs> Thank you. 
I forgot. I have a new toy. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to see. So audience members were saying sounds like two different cues. Um, one person pointed out something that I also heard, which is it sounded a little, a little out of tune. Uh, it could have just been the spread and the tuning. Uh, I'm assuming that that was a sampled piano, not a real one. Um, I, and I remember that, you know, back in my studio days, the tuners would always do a spread where they would, you know, the lower octaves would be slightly off. I mean, ever literally like a cent off from the higher octaves. And, and that would make the overall piano sound, especially when you were playing chords, make it sound broader and richer and fuller. Um, but I definitely heard what sounded to me like a little bit out of tune. But people are saying... Two cues in one was that's what you thought. That's, that's exactly right. Um, it can't return. You know, it's it's too jazzy to be a blues cue, and it's too bluesy to be a jazz cue. So, so I was back in the day. This was like you know my first year at, at Taxi. Um, Dwayne, you can see clearly that two track Dwayne not only submitted two tracks. But he stole my idea of having two completely different genres in one tune, and and I and I fixed that by just taking the blues part out and lazily just copy and pasting the uh, the jazz part. And and when I did that, it, it got a number of forwards after that. And, and you know what? I like your touch. Um, I mean, those cues will get used, and, and I mean, really great for. Two people in a piano bar having a discussion, or two people out to dinner, and there's you know music going on somewhere. What'd you lose, Bria? Oh, my pen. oh no, Bria lost her pen. <laughs> Somebody hit the ah, 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 red light button. All right, uh, we've got one more to listen to. What's this one called? This one is called Scoring Guitars. Scoring Guitars. <laughs> Thank you. 
see what people are saying. Um, uh, could use some percussion. I want to hear a build a bit. Lots of mids. Played from a keyboard, question mark. Too repetitive, too much counterpoint. No edit points. Um, let's see. Needs building, variety, no edit points. The nice sounds, mix well. Title fits the track. Needs to change more. Guitar fight. Uh, music needs to breathe. We don't take in 16th notes. We pause to breathe. Or we don't talk in 16th notes. Um, I do. Put me in a room full of people with a microphone in my hand, and I will. <laughs> I could hear a little next week at the beginning giving me some authenticity to it being live guitar, but it lacks emotion. So what what's the real problem, Henry? Did anybody nail it? One person got it, and, and he was absolutely right. And um, I didn't play a note of that. This was from a, um, a heavyosity loop library called Scoring Guitars, which is why I titled it that. Uh, I heard one instrumentalist he did the exact same thing. He had a scoring guitars loop. And um, now this track was not a return because I would never submit it to a listing, nor would I submit it to a library. And I'm not a loop purist. There are people out there who say I would never use a, a loop library. And as a matter of fact, I had one library owner, he sent out an email and he said, if I ever find out that one of, any one of you um, sends me a track and you're, you're just holding your finger down on one key, you will no longer be in my library. So you have to be careful with loops, especially if it's playing um, the main melody. Having said that, I, I love loop libraries. They're, they're a great starting point. You can slice them up. Um, you can time stretch them, you can pitch shift them, you can harmonize them against each other. You can put them to something like Isotope's Trash 2 and get a completely different sound. But you have to know that there, you know, I, I don't think any of the panelists um, picked it out, but, but, I, but I knew instantly that the, uh, that instrumental um, that I heard at the panel was um, Heaviosity scoring guitars with Interesting. Yeah, there, um, do you remember, not last year, I think at the 2016 Road Rally, there was a piece of music played on one of the listening panels in the Grand Ballroom, and it came from a kid. I mean, the kid was probably like 11 years old or something, and it was brilliant, and it was almost all done with loops, but it didn't matter because you could tell this kid was accomplishing what he did at 11 years old. By the time he's 18 years old, this kid's going to be king of the world. And so I think that loops can be used really effectively. It's the people, the mistake people make is not knowing when you should use a loop. I mean, there, there are some things that just sound better um, with the loop as an underlayment, I should say, you know. Right. And, and you could take this and, and, you know, put a little humanity on there, just some, like, arpeggiated strums on top of that or something to add a little humanity to it, and it would be fine. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mainly did that one just for fun, just to see if I could take these loops and play them off, play them off against each other. Right. And uh, for any, anybody right now who's looking for sample libraries, they're all on sale. Just about every sample uh, library company is having, uh, today it's, I think, Cyber Monday, but but all through last week it, it was Black Friday, and I've seen deals from 30% to 94% off on 
plug-in deals and uh, plug-in boutique, and they are all about the deals. For instance, I, I remember I saw a heavy-osity library, and it was 80% off on, um, I think it was audio plug-in deals. And I went to the heavy-osity site, and it was full price on their site. Wow. So so if, if, if you get DST Buzz, Loopmasters, audio plug-in deals, and plug-in boutique, they, constantly, they will constantly send you uh, emails, well, once a week probably. Uh, this is on sale 90% off, 80% off. Yeah, I'm seeing in the in the chat room. Robbie Hancock just posted Native Instruments 50% off. Um, oh, you know, I had a question. It's totally unrelated to the road rally or the rest of the discussion. But as long as I've got um, my people here, uh, I want to ask you guys this. I brought it up at the road rally, and I want to get your take. Uh, more and more frequently, we're all hearing how incredibly important it is to have not just meta-tagging, but good meta-tagging. Um, obviously, everybody can get their phone number right. Everybody can tag in their email address. The thing that people can't do well is objectively describe, first of all, what genre their music is in is frequently wrong, um, left to their own devices, and using keywords that describe it. You know, um, people will just take a shot at almost anything because yeah, you know, a lot of people probably need depressing music. So I'm going to put depressing on my thing, even though it's not really depressing. And if you were to, you know, pin them in a corner and say, why did you say that was depressing? Well, it had a minor note in it. Um, <laughs> get dopey answers like that. So we have talked about this now for a couple of years here at Taxi, and we're thinking about rolling out a service where it's just, a, you know, like a, a $5 charge or something per song or per instrumental for us to do the tagging for people so that you're getting expert, um, you know, or taxi, regular taxi screeners, not rookies, not interns, the real taxi screeners, um, tagging your genre and keywords. And then you've got something that for five bucks, whatever it costs, I'm just throwing that out there, but it seems, you know, I don't know if we can do it effectively at that price, we'll find out. But it's something that you could, take to the bank because then you know somebody objective heard it and you got a professional list of, of attributes. Do you guys, is that appealing to you? Is there, are there enough of you that would use that, that we should take a serious shot at rolling out that aspect of what we do? Um, people are saying, that sounds great. Um, that's a good idea, Michael. Um, Love it. Casey Hurwitz wrote a metadata category app. Well, that's great if you know what the cat, if you can, you know, pick the categories. Um, plus one, cool idea, very much plus one. Pretty useful to Paul, blah, blah, blah. All right, so we will take a more serious look. This is the time of year when we, you know, once the rally's behind us and the new year is in front of us, we can start considering little things to add. By the way, um, we were hoping to roll out uh, a new um, submission process. Um, we're still working on this stuff, but we've made incredible strides behind the scenes here at Taxi as far as how we all interface with people when they join and things like that. Um, our our um, web developer, the guy who actually writes the code, doesn't really do the graphics stuff, but writes the code. His name's Michael Cheney, who was actually at the rally for the first time this year. 
and I think he really uh, was enamored with all of you, as as I am and the staff is, and really feels like he's bringing something to bear for you guys. One of the things that we're working on that should be done in, in fairly short order is we're going to have different critiques. Now, we've been using the same critiques for all types of submissions. So in early 2019, we're going to be rolling out, um, when you make a submission for an instrumental, it's going to be a critique that is geared for just instrumentals. If you submit a song for film and TV, for a film and TV pitch, the critique that we're going to use is going to be film and TV song specific. If you're submitting a song for a record label pitch, it's going to be specific to that. For an artist pitch, it's going to be specific to that. So we've already done the first, the the kind of the graphical layout, the topography, if you will, of that um, critique. And we've got the first one done and we all really, really like it. And we're basing everything else we're doing off that. So I'm really excited that in the first quarter of 2019 that you guys are going to start getting this. There's going to be um, a period where some old critiques of stuff that was already in progress are going to come through. So we haven't figured out how to do the transition with the stuff that let's say that we've got 15 listings that are half screened. Um, we can't have half of them coming out uh, from one database and half from the other database. So we're trying to work out those bugs, but I'm really, really excited. You guys are gonna go, wow, Taxi just got like 25% better overnight. So anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there. Also, this show and your idea to play What's Wrong With Henry's Music, um, I think is a great idea and I could see the reaction in the chat room, people really liking it. So Henry, you've inspired me that not next week, uh, I don't even know what's the, let me look on my computer. Let's see what next Monday's date is. Um, the third, so Monday, December 3rd, um, Brooke Ferry will be joining me on Taxi TV. And let's do it on Monday, December 10th. Our show is going to be um, where you guys will submit music and, that you've gotten feedback on from a screener. So what we're going to do is play a round of can you identify why the screener didn't forward this? So you guys are going to have to send in music that was not forwarded and you're going to have to let Bria know um, if you can attach a copy of the critique so that we can play that game. Let's see how close you guys get to nailing what the screeners nailed. Does that sound like a good idea? That's to me. All right. I'm glad you said that because everybody in the chat room is 20 seconds behind. So I'm sitting here staring <laughs> at that thing. Um, all right. Charles Wilson says, that should be fun. Uh, Amanda, no, not for next week. Next week is uh, Taxi Screener Brooke Ferry. And uh, I've also got some exciting news to tell you next week. Um, people like it. December 10th. Yep, good idea. Yes, I have a few of those. Sounds like a good idea. Sounds like Monday, Tom. All right, so yeah, that is what we're going to do. All right, we've got 10 minutes left. I don't have any more questions left for Henry. So if you guys have any, let's use those 10 minutes fruitfully. Uh, I'd like to say just one more thing about sample libraries. Sure. And that's beware of uh, free libraries. Like a Heaviosity will periodically have a free library. It's not the whole library. It's part of one of their libraries that they sell. 
And every time I've downloaded a, a free library and I've contacted the company and asked them the question, can I use this professionally, they have said no. Good to know. Um, something, well, people are coming up with questions. Uh, something I've noticed on our episodes, you know, when you use music on an episode, uh, when we use your music on an episode, anybody's music on an episode of Taxi TV, if it's published, we get a little email from YouTube saying, you're not in any trouble. We're not going to, you know, hunt you down or kill your account or anything, but we want to let you know that you used a piece of music that is, in fact, published and uh, somebody's made a copyright claim against it. And I've mentioned this on the show before, but I'm starting to see it more and more frequently where um, TuneFind, um, CD Baby, uh, probably some others, they're not doing anything wrong or anything underhanded, but there is, um, I believe, excuse me, a box you can check. Would you like us to monetize this for you? Would you like us to be the publisher and monetize this for you? Um, probably mostly for microsyncs on YouTube. And people will say yes and check that box. I am not personally familiar enough with the language in those publishing agreements, but I think people think, oh, great, little income stream. Sure, I'll check that box. But I'm betting dollars to donuts that if you were to submit that piece of music to a publisher, a library, a music library, that they'd go, oh, crap, I can't take that. You've already signed a publishing deal with uh, TuneFind or CD Baby. So again, I'm not personally familiar with the legalese in those things, but you, sh you guys should check that out um, and make sure that you don't already have a publishing deal with TuneFinder CD Baby that's going to prevent you from pitching it to libraries for film and TV placements. Uh, okay, any questions for Henry? Um, what? I have a couple. Oh, oh Bria's got a couple. Okay, Sh uh, lay them on me. Okay, Max Myers asks, uh, I was told to give libraries what they don't have, but isn't that risky? Max Myers was told uh, to give libraries what they don't have. Isn't that risky? Um, man, there's so many ways to look at that, Max. Number one, yeah, um, it'd be great to give them something they don't have if you know what they don't have but they need. And that's the hard part. So, I mean, one of the things we do at Taxi is proactively reach out to libraries and say, what are you looking for? We also have a list of genres that we send out to libraries and say, is there anything on this list that you need? And it's amazing how often that jogs their memory and they go, oh yeah, you know what? I keep getting requests for um, uh, like Western Swing and I never have any. So yeah, I could use that. So yes, you can make the argument that they do need that stuff, but you may also find that those genres, that they don't have those genres because they don't need them very often. So you may get a library deal, but you may not get many or any placements because it's kind of an odd duck thing that doesn't get requested a lot. So there's my thinking on that. Um, and another question, Bria? Uh, Marion Laird asks, Henry, what are your favorite sample libraries? Marion Laird wants to know, Henry, what are your favorite sample libraries? Um, my two absolute favorite libraries are Dune 2 by Synapse Audio and um, Trailer Expressions by, I think it's Sample Logic. Uh, they, you can use them in tension cues. You can use them in uh, epic or 
orchestral. Uh, they just, uh, Doom 2 is, is mainly an analog synth library. And uh, I, use, I use the pianos when, when I submit um, smooth jazz tracks to the, to the library. I, I use uh, the electric piano that they have. And, but, but both of them have, are, are so versatile. Those are probably my two favorite, and uh, I use them in almost everything. Um, I don't really use the heavyosity libraries anymore. I, I tend not to use libraries that I purchased three years ago. Uh, but right now, we're Joe and I are, are, are working on some uh, trap tension, and um, I am going back to to a library that I purchased three or four years ago. It's called Rev R E V, and it's a it's a reverse. It's a library of reverses essentially. And uh, I noticed that the library's um, example tracks all had reverses. So, uh, uh, but what I would say, check out Zoom 2, uh, check out um, Trailer Expressions, and that's not with an E. Expression it starts with the word with the letter X. And uh, check out the sounds because they're they're really good. And and when you're checking out Zoom 2, make sure you watch a video by a guy named Kevin Schroeder, and it's spelled like, like the Peanuts character. And he has a video on uh, sound that he programmed specifically for Doom 2. It's an expansion pack. And uh, that video, watching that video, uh, made me buy Doom 2. Are you saying Dune, D-U-N-E, number two? Yeah, yeah, D-U-N-E, and then the number two. Okay, Dune 2. Um, all right, I see a question from Brad Brigland. Hi, Brad, never met you before. Nice to meet you, see you in the chat room. I had a song forwarded and the person wanted a 30 second edit of the track. I have looked it up and not 100% sure what that means. A compressed version of the song or edit the song in 30 second increments? Yeah, they, they don't want you to compress it. They want a 30 second and really what they want is a 29.5 second version. The reason they want that is that they probably think that it's something that would work well in TV commercials. So what you want to give them is something that, uh, as Henry pointed out earlier in the show, let's say it starts out with a boom, drum, drum turn to bring it in, kind of get your attention, and then ends um, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 27 or 28 seconds in, and with the ring out, it is totally gone by 29 and a half. Um, that way they could use it on a TV commercial. Yeah, and, and you know, Michael, um, different libraries want different versions. There's a library in, in Britain, and they want a 30-second, a 60-second. They want a bed. They want a full version, and they want um, a stinger ending. And then there's another library in Canada, and they want all the tracks to be the same length, exactly the same length. And so they want a full version. They want a bed. They want a drums and bass version, a no drums version, and I uh, and, and a reduced version. So every library is a, a little bit different. Um, some libraries just want the full version, the thirty-second version. Some libraries just want the full version. You know, it it sounds daunting for the uninitiated, for people who are early in their um, success arc. 
they hear this lingo and these requirements and gee, it just sounds so daunting. Oh my goodness, I'm just having a hard time creating a piece of music that gets past the taxi screeners and will get a, you know, a phone call or an email from a, a music library owner, let alone getting something actually placed in a TV show. And now I've got to think about a five and a 10 and a 15 and a 30 and a 60 and a 90. Oh my goodness. Um, how daunting is it to learn how to do that stuff? Or not daunting? Well, it, when, when, when I got into the library that wanted the 30 and the 60, I started composing that way. So rather than trying to figure out, well, where's a good 30 seconds with an actual ending? Where's a good 60 seconds with an actual ending? Um, I, I would do a 30 second version. And then I would do another 30-second version. So now I've got a 30-second and a 60-second. Uh, the full version, obviously, that's pretty easy. Uh, the bed, you just take out the melody and the stinger endings. Make sure you have a stinger ending. Great advice. All right, time for one more question. Uh, Bria's got one, okay. Uh, Paul Howes asks, Henry, can you say when you felt you made the most progress as a taxi member? Was there one thing that set you running other than the rally? All right, so uh, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, gonna. I, I, I guess you could hear the. Well, I just wanted to make sure everybody could hear the question, so I'm gonna paraphrase okay. it. Which is, um, Paul House asked if there was a point where you, like a turning point, um, something where everything kind of clicked and you went, okay, uh, you know, I'm, I've got it. Something other than the rally. Yeah, uh, the, the first two years for me were what you call training wheels. And, and I was learning, I was trying different things. Uh, I realized there wasn't a big market for jazz piano, which, which was what I originally came in as. And um, I, I thought I'd try my hand at, at tension cues. And really when things turned around for me, I, I got a lot of returns because I didn't know what I was doing with tension cues. But I finally figured it out based mainly on screener input. And I started getting uh, some really good libraries for that genre. I, I'd say things really turned around in my third year. Um, is the majority of your stuff that is signed uh, more like the tension cue variety or more um, uh, of, of soft jazz, smooth jazz or cocktail jazzy stuff? The, um, the, my first four years with Taxi, uh, I would say it was almost 100% either tension or action hybrid, that kind of thing. It was mainly, mainly tension cues. Of course, this year, it was, uh, it was primarily smooth jazz. Okay. Um, because of the library that I got in. Oh, that's right. Okay, that library wanted a lot of smooth jazz for restaurant scenes. Gotcha. Well, Henry, gotcha. always a pleasure. Um, even though we don't live close to each other, I love uh, having the opportunity to hang out with you. Uh, I'm so happy to have met you and become your friend over the last few years. And uh, thank you for always being so generous with what you've learned. It's, you know, it, it it's not about you. It's about what you can teach your fellow members. And you're really, really good at that. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, you're, you're, Observation skills are unparalleled, my friend. So thank you for being keen on the observations and, and generous in sharing them. And thank you guys for showing up. We will see you next week when we will have Brooke Ferry here. I'm not really sure exactly what we're going to do with Brooke. If we're going to probably have you guys submit music and have Brooke critique it because she is just awesome. By the way, if you were in the ballroom uh, for the happy ending panel at the very end of the road rally, um, 
a couple of times Brooke commented on stuff and I just thought, wow, those are some of the, she is so incredibly good at giving really wonderful advice so quickly that um, I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't have her do that on next week's show. So thank you. Um, see you guys next week for another really, really, really exciting episode of Taxi TV Live, baby. Bye-bye. Thanks, Henry. Thank you, Mike.